Welcome to episode 15 of the bonus series of the Geared for Growth Property Investing podcast, where we talk to the experts and get them to share their top tips on how to achieve exceptional results in property investing. We here at MCG Quantity Surveyors are passionate about taking the mystery out of property investment. We believe there's always something more to learn and who better to learn it from than the people who are in the game. So in this podcast, you'll hear from buyers, agents, mortgage brokers, strata managers, accountants, and many, many more professionals all sharing their insider knowledge. I'm your host, Mike Mortlock, and I'm excited to be sharing this time with you. If you love this podcast, we'd love you to hit the subscribe button so you never miss another episode. Arguably, the biggest challenge with property investment, aside from getting the finance, of course, is knowing where to buy. There are a multitude of metrics blown up in the media and typically they're focused on the capital cities. Time and time again, investors look to their own backyard for their next investment. It's understandable, but is it the best way to go? Simon Presley doesn't think so. As Managing Director of Propertyology and three-time awarded Australia's Buyer's Agent of the Year, Simon has his finger on the pulse of every city and town in Australia. If it's happening in property, he knows about it, and we're very fortunate to have him joining us today. In fact, we covered so much ground that this episode is broken into two parts, with today's part one focused on what not to do when selecting the best location for your next investment. Steps that you should be taking are covered in part two in our next episode. So here's Simon Presley. Simon Presley, thanks for joining me back on the Geared for Growth podcast. Thanks for having us, Mike. Always good to have a chat. Such is my esteem for you that you were position number four on the Geared for Growth Property podcast, and that's not a ranking. That's probably because you were too busy doing work to actually get the number one <laughs> slot, uh, slot. But you're one of those people that I think um, was sort of a foundation member for this uh, podcast. I just kind of thought, like, if I can get people like yourself to interview, then we can put something together worth listening to. So I'm always very appreciative of, of you coming on. Um this new series, we're talking about the property investing journey from start to finish, and I guess it's geared towards uh, beginner investors or people that think they've got some skills that they can brush up on, and I couldn't think of anyone better uh, to talk about looking at property market uh, fundamentals and how we can actually find growth areas. Now, you've put some amazing research together, so I think I really want to split this into a two-parter. Um, you've put some information together about things that you think that we shouldn't be focusing on um, when we're trying to find the next hotspot, as it were. Yeah, uh, and I think like we all want growth. At the end of the day, investing is a discretionary action. It's not something that anyone has to do. There's no law that says we have to do it, and sadly, most people never do it. But those who do do it, um, the objective is to invest whatever amount of money into an asset um, in the hope that that asset is worth a lot more in, in years to come. So that that's growth. But to me, Growth is about a series of really important decisions. It's not. It's not one decision. It's not just you know how do you find a hotspot. Not that that's by any means easy. Um, we'll, and we'll elaborate on that in, in this uh, maybe in part two. But it, it's more to just where to invest. I think there's a there's a lot of things that people need to be conscious of of not to do and and some things to do. And some of the things that I feel strongly about probably contradict what a lot of people in broader society. Um, think of. I've always argued, Mike, that um, most property investors, whilst they don't realise it, they know more about share market than they do about property markets. Mm. Um, it's not possible to know what one doesn't know, 
But because we live, we all live in a property, whether we own it or we rent it, it's very easy, it's human nature for people to feel like they understand property markets, but they actually know more about share markets, even though they might not own any shares. That's how complicated property markets are. Yeah, that's an interesting point. And we do have that innate sense that we understand property. It dominates barbecue conversations. We drive past places that have sold and we're like, oh, I didn't think it was worth that much. So mine must be worth X because we've got that sort of vested interest in it. So much of our net worth uh, is tied up on it. And and so much of our kind of status is is assigned to the property that we live in in comparison to our friends and neighbours. It's sort of an ugly thing to admit, right? But there's a truth to it. Absolutely, and I guess why we feel we we know it is because the decisions that property investors make often they are reflecting upon themselves and how they feel. So whether it's the individual property that they're considering buying, the, the human nature we've all got emotions. Um, we we make decisions with our eyes and then our heart. So we, we gather we gather information by the eyes, and then if the heart feels good about it, um, uh, we then start thinking, yeah, this is the one. Um, but conversely, you look at something next door and, and it might not look as nice and the eye says to the heart, this is not the one. But that's a highly subjective process mm. and we need to be very, very pragmatic um, when it comes to making what really is a financial decision, not an emotional decision, but most property investment decisions, including those who might have bought umpteen investment properties, are heavily influenced by their own personal bias and emotion. An overwhelming majority of property investors um, will, will only ever consider buying a property in their hometown. I mean, you have a think about that. That's like the share investor who might work for, I don't know, name a public listed company, work for Qantas, um, and they want to invest in their future and prefer shares over property. It doesn't mean they, they have to buy shares in Qantas. Mm. They need to look at 1,300 companies on the Australian Stock Exchange, look at the fundamentals and where, where where's the best place to park my money. Mm. But what I've just described to you there with the with the Qantas share investor is exactly what a property investor does. We all have to live somewhere, um, and a property investor may only buy property in their own hometown. If you have a think about that from a financial objective point of view, that that is as dumb as dog shit. Yes, but that's what people do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, I guess we can we can talk about the you know the limitations of knowledge and and almost we've almost got a philosophical epistemology sort of podcast about to take take fruit but i guess we we use science because human beings are flawed right we might have a hypothesis and we can take you know objective things to test whether it's true or not and there is science to property markets and and i think that's sort of tied into the name propertyology right you know it's 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 the science of property markets so there are some objective things that we can we can look at um that will correlate to market movements right and the focus of this podcast i guess is is the don'ts and and the first one is um not putting all your eggs in the one basket so you're talking about um people investing around the corner from where they live right yeah and and, and again like people need to think about property as a financial instrument if you're an investor you're not buying the property for you to live in so as i said earlier it's irrelevant whether you would live in that property or in that town because that's not the objective the objective is a financial outcome and the only feeling that's really important with this important financial decision is the feeling that you'll have in 10, to, 10 or 20 years' time um, when you're considering selling that asset. So, so focus on that, um, what's going to give yourself the chance of the best feeling in years to come. So the, all the eggs in one basket, we've all heard that really sensible statement. But for whatever reason, property investors never even think about it um, before they make this really important financial decision. So 
Um, if you already own your family home, for example, either, either owned outright or have a mortgage on it, I would suggest that the very last place you should be considering buying an investment property is in that same city. Mm. That's like the, that's, I, I deliberately use the share analogy. It's like the share investor saying, I bought my first parcel of shares 10 years ago, off, you know, a year ago, and, and I've got $5,000 worth of common bank shares. Fast forward today, I've got another five thousand dollars, and they also put it in Commonwealth Bank. I mean, a share investor would never do that, mm. but yeah, that's exactly what a property investor does. But I think the property investor is doing that because they think, well, I've lived here for ten or twenty years. I know the property market, and I can see that something's going to happen. I don't have the confidence with other areas. Is there merit in that? Yeah, well, they're confusing. Um, knowing their neighbourhood with actually knowing the property market. You know, the big bunch of people, and it's almost all and sundry, who think that they know the property market of their own home and city, and we can we can name any any location here. You know, the, the five million plus who live in Sydney and Melbourne, did each of them know in 2016 that they were 12 months away from the single biggest downturn that their local property markets had experienced in their 230-year history? Did they, if they really knew their local property market, why is it that hundreds of thousands of people bought real estate in those two cities over the following 18 months when if they really understood property markets, they would know there's a big bunch of really important evidence showing there's a big big downturn coming because of an oversupply mm. situation. So, so yeah, we, we don't know. You know, you, you and I, our profession is property, but um, the everyday Aussie investor, um, they have a false sense of confidence mm. about property markets. And I, and I think the reason they... They get caught up in their own bias. It's called a confirmation bias. They go on a mission doing their best to research um, information, but really they're looking for um, as much information they can find on the internet that supports what they really want to do in their heart, and that's buy a property in their hometown. That's not research. That's kidding yourself. I think there's an interesting parallel going on at the market that I think uh, is worth noting around the vaccine. I don't want to get into a political argument about uh, <laughs> vaccine hesitancy, but it, it, it sort of it, it's, it speaks to me about how you sort of talk about what real research is, right? You can go and look at realestate.com articles or FinReview articles and, and say, well, I've done my research. But when you think about it, like as an, as an academic, um, I'm not really saying that I have am an academic, I've got one degree, but I did at least learn the basics basics of research right and and how you know proper research is peer reviewed and you you comparing it to one another and you you hopefully come to a reasonable point but with confirmation bias you can go down the rabbit hole of climate change denial or or or, or vaccine yep. being about depopulation you know or or, or another bugbear of yours that um, population growth is the biggest driver of, of property prices and if you go in thinking that you'll find things to support it right so it's a it's a quad yeah, and and you know, let's circle back to how you how you started this discussion. It, there is a science to property markets, and um, you know, you can jump on Doctor Google looking for you know the cause of whatever medical symptoms that you've got, and you'll find twenty different um, possibilities of why you've got whatever symptoms you got. But that doesn't make you a bloody doctor. It just means you've read a whole bunch of crap mm. on the internet, and you can always read a whole bunch of crap on the internet. The the key thing is, is do you have the tertiary qualifications? And the uh, you know the, um, doing it every single day, um, knowing what to look for, and, and the ability to interpret the right information. And, and the, the reality is, is that stuff that we read on the internet, it's really it's really not research at all. Um, the quality of research is um, is a lot to do with data. So where where do you get the data from? And there's 
thousands of different metrics that we look at there. So where do you get all that? How do you interpret all that? There's no one plus one formula to all that. It's, it's the sum of all parts. So um, whilst I'm happy to talk um, John Black and Blue Place about how to analyse property markets, I'd, I'd put it to anybody. It's not something you can do yourself because it's not a, it's not a hobby. Mm. It's a full-time profession, the same as it is as the medical specialist. Yeah, I, I just every time I talk to you, I imagine um, that scene in a beautiful mind where he's you know got those little bits of red string connecting all of the all of the dots. I, I, just, I think I'd be terrified to step into your research, hub, <laughs> Simon. Oh, it's a passion. We've all got passions, and uh, and property is certainly one of mine. Um, No, I mean, I I mean that with all with all due uh, credit and respect. Um, One thing that I've falsely accused you of in the past that you've sort of taken me to task over is being um, Captain Regions, right? Mr. Regions, I think I may have called you before, but you you, you rightfully said, well, um, I'm quite happy to invest in capital cities and they form part of my research. um, But it just so happens that very few of them have ever popped up as being the right candidates. And I, I think that's probably a trap that a lot of people could could fall into with yourself is just thinking well you're, you're only interested in regions but you're interested in science right and i think um this is the thing that that people when they're researching get stuck with is that all the research is really around the capital cities the economists talk about the capital cities they don't talk about the individual pockets and the you know the ten thousand plus suburbs in australia and the what is it 300 and no 530 something lgas you'll know that number off the top of your head The Give for Growth Property Investing Podcast is presented by our business, MCG Quantity Surveyors. If you're an investor or a property professional looking to get the best tax depreciation deductions for yourself or your clients, please get in touch with us at mcgqs.com.au. It's our mission to help as many property investors as we can to maximise their claims and maximise their property education as well. 150 LGAs. Yeah. Um, yes, it's, it's something I've gained an appreciation for, Mike, over the years. That there, there, there does seem to be this strong perception out there that you know, propertyology, um, you know, only invests in regions. That's I'm not unhappy with that. That claims on you know, I love regional Australia, um, not just from a property market perspective, but as an Australian citizen, this is a, a beautiful, diverse country. There's very few parts of Australia that I haven't been to, either either to live or or work or invest, but. Um, what I'm interested in as a full-time property investor, the objective is doing the best that I can for me, for my family, and for my clients. And anything in life, the starting base one for doing the best that one can begins by reviewing objectively 100% of your options. Now, as a property investor, 100% of our options is eight capital cities and 200 individual regional towns and cities. So. My objective every single day is to objectively analyse all of those. Um, we write so much about regional Australia, I guess partly because there's 200 of them. There are only eight capital cities, so um, I haven't created you know that imbalance. That's just that that is what it is. There's always so much more to regional Australia, and they're all very, very different. Um, we've also been very, very proactive over the years, recognising there's a, a big void in Australian real estate that no one ever, no one ever comments on unless there's a blood on the street story and mm. I think that's why a lot of people who perhaps have spent most if not all their life living in a capital city they never consider investing in a regional location because they they just think regional means bad or that there's no growth or that there's risky and that's come from you know what they've been exposed to over their life which is 
mostly a bunch of crap. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'm just as open-minded to capital cities and regions. But because there are so many regions, Mike, that in almost every single year, the best investment opportunities will be among those 200 locations, the regional ones, not among the eight. Mm. And I'm going to do a little teaser into part two of this podcast where we talk about the do's rather than the don'ts. And one of the things that you talk about as being a big driver of property prices is affordability, right? And you're going to find that a lot more in the regions than the capital cities. But, you know, I'm keeping that as a teaser. We're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about a metric that you think is a don't to chase. Don't chase population growth. Now, it, it seems... It seems to make sense that more people move to an area, then there's more demand for the houses. So why doesn't this work? And why do you have so much bloody evidence to prove that it doesn't? I love evidence and we're all wired, you know, the way we are. Don't ask me why, Mike, but I I value evidence. I suppose, you know, an earlier version of Simon Presley, I was as guilty as everybody else, not just with property market myths, but broader society myths. And... Um, the things, the wives' tales that, that, that the masses talk about, I guess if, if, if someone else doesn't produce some evidence, you just believe what everyone else believes. But progressively, um, in my early 20s, you stumble across a number, a, 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 an element of fact that contradicts what you'd hung on to be true. And you think, oh, that must must be an anomaly. But the innate urge of me is to then, is then to seek clarification. Is this an anomaly or is it actually factually correct and there's something more I need to learn from it? So... Um, a long time ago, I was as guilty as everyone else thinking that property price growth was all about chasing the population growth until I stumbled across a statistic um, which created some curiosity. And many years later, um, had literally studied Australian real estate history and, and realised there is zero correlation between population growth rates and property prices. At a logical level, it makes sense. But the problem with that is what it implies is that human beings are not not humans, that they are robots, that we are all one and the same. So we all like the same thing. We all earn the same, same income. And, of course, we know that that's not the case. Um, and it also implies that every property is the same, which we know is not true. There are houses, there are apartments, there are really nice ones, there are really ugly ones. So um, it, there's not an equation that sort of says property price growth is a formula of um, – taking the population growth and then subtract, subtracting the number of dwellings and then you've got your answer. It's, it's not like that. Um, I'd love to share with your listeners some, some, uh, some quirky facts to really highlight there is no correlation. Please. So th- this is talking um, the last decade ending June 2020, comparing the rates of population growth in some nominated cities compared to their change in median house price over the same period of time. So we have a look at Brisbane. Brisbane had a 22% increase in its population growth over the last decade, which is the second highest only behind Melbourne over, uh, of the capital cities in the last decade. But Brisbane's median house price increased by only 19% across that entire 10-year period of time. Apartment prices did not grow at all and a big chunk of investors buy apartments. Mm. Um, so, they've, so they've had zero growth across, across, across an entire decade in Australia's third biggest city. In that same period of time, a, re, a tiny little regional community called Burnie, coincidentally also starting with B, its population declined only by a little bit, only by 2%, but there was less people living in Burnie at the end of the decade than the start of the decade, but yet its median house price increased by more than Brisbane. Right. Now, Fact. Now, that's, now, that's not an anomaly. You think, oh, that's just a one-off because there's always anomalies with data. Um, a place called Goulburn, not that far from Canberra. 
uh, regional part of New South Wales. Median house price over the last decade increased by 112%, more than every single capital city, yet its population growth was uh, an increase of 12%, very much middle of the road. Mm. Perth, Perth had a higher rate of population growth than Sydney over the last decade, but yet the median house price declined by 10% across the entire 10-year period of time. Now, that's just three or four stats. Um, there are literally thousands of them um, for those who just sort of think, oh, they're, they're just furfies. The biggest stat is what's happening right now. Uh, we are two years into the second biggest property boom in Australia's 230-year history. That's a fact. But yet at the same time, the population growth rate of Australia over the last 12 months has been the lowest it has been in this country for more than 100 years. We've got to go back to World War One. Wow. Okay, I'm convinced. Uh, <laughs> it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't make sense logically in my mind, but that, I mean, it doesn't matter, right? That's why you have a hypothesis and the scientific paper doesn't finish there, right? You, you run your experiments and you come to a conclusion and it's nice if your hypothesis matched or you're just kind of wrong. And I, I love that about science. I mean, I, there's anecdotes of, of people attending lectures and then shaking the hand of the person saying, you know, congratulations, you've disproved what I've spent my last 50 years on. See, I would be furious and upset, but a true scientist is like, you know, I've probably helped you to further science. You've disproved me, but you've stood on my shoulders somewhere and we're all a team. Uh, you know, there's some there's some beauty to that, I think. Yeah, well, and what I'd like listeners to take out of those, those facts there is when you think you're doing research, if you're focusing on the population growth theory, you are wasting your time. You are setting yourself up for mediocrity because it, it doesn't it doesn't influence things. Take it from someone whose entire professional re- reputation is based on this stuff and where we choose to invest um, each and every year, we don't care about the rates of population growth. We'll share to satisfy our clients' curiosity what the rates of population growth were um, in a chosen location, but it has no bearing at all on our decision to actually invest there because the evidence says it doesn't matter. Yeah. What, what, what demand is, is not population growth. We all have demand for housing. And where the economists of the world always, always start the equation up is they think that, that housing demand is a, is a measurement of population growth rate. It's not because we are, uh, we are not all the same. By demand, we all have, what is housing? Housing shelter. Every single time someone goes to move, whether it's uh, to move dwellings to rent or buy, there is to, there is now new demand for housing. But each individual person is only born once. Um, I, I did this for, um, for myself uh, only a couple of months ago on my team. I've lived in 15 different dwellings over my 51 and a half years on this planet. So each and every time I've moved, I'm creating a demand for housing. But I'm only born once. I'm only adding to the population once. Mm. Demand is a, is a measurement of buyer activity, not population growth. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting way to put it. 
Um, we need to wrap this up very quickly, but I wanted to just quickly talk to you about um, investing in apartments. Now, I don't think that you're you're anti certain types of apartments because I've I've read some stories about you talking about um, you know the advantages of, of strata and fixing a roof on a strata title property rather than a than a house. But we're, we're talking these the big developments like your you know Sydney Olympic Park and and many of the stuff that we're seeing in Brisbane City that seems to be now having a resurgence. Uh, yeah. I my view on apartments has changed as more evidence has become available over the over the last um, sort of decade or so. Um, Ten to fifteen years ago, Mike, there was not sufficient enough evidence, um, you know, historical data um, where we could compare the performance of apartments to houses um, to make a really confident um, form a really confident view on. There is more than enough evidence now. Um, I would recommend, uh, personally, propertyology will never invest in apartments. Uh, so anyone listening to this, you know, one of your don'ts um, when you're considering investing in your future, do not invest in apartments, period. There is more than enough evidence. Now, and this is pre-COVID. COVID's uh, made, a, um, made demand for apartments, uh, uh, you know, fall even more. Um, yeah, there is more than enough proof out there. This is not opinion. There's more than enough proof out there that the rates of growth of a typical apartment compared to a typical house in any location in Australia other than one, which is Hobart, um, is a huge gap. Um, there, are, there are parts of Sydney where an apartment today has grown by nothing over 10 years. There are large parts of Melbourne where the typical apartment has only seen between 5% and 25% growth over the last decade when Melbourne's median house price has grown by about 90%. Mm. Uh, I mentioned earlier... Um, apartments in Brisbane today, at best, are worth the same as what someone paid for them 10 years ago. That's at best. There are a big bunch of apartments that, and I'm talking standard stuff, not, not luxury stuff. The luxury stuff's even worse. There are a big bunch of standard apartments that today are worth $100,000 less than what people paid for them 10 years ago. The evidence has been you know, out there for several years now. We've published a lot of reports on it, and this is before COVID. You know, COVID has uh, had a big psychological impact on a lot of people, um, and those who previously were attracted to apartment lifestyle were primarily, primarily because they worked in the city and they couldn't afford to buy a house in the city, so they either bought or rented the apartment in the city. They don't feel that way now, especially um, if they've been locked up for, you know, umpteen days over the last, last 80 months. They've got an insatiable appetite for space and for nature, and, um, you yeah, I'm not putting every human being in the one bracket here, but there's a big, big bunch of, um, big critical mass of people who have been psychologically scarred uh, by, by by lockdowns um, and, and could not think of anything worse than uh, to be cooped up in an apartment. Mm, yeah, my attitude to being in a lift with people has changed uh, post-COVID world and I think it's that, that, that density thing. Uh, Simon, we've, we've, we've covered some awesome stuff in your, your don'ts for selecting uh, growth locations. As, as I said, we're going to split this up into the do's. Um, so uh, when we release this, we'll, we'll make it a short gap just so that people aren't waiting too long. But um, thanks for your, for your uh, time and your wisdom on the don'ts for selecting growth locations today. My pleasure, Mike. Look forward to the next chat. Cheers.